this is the Big Bravely Podcast, hosted by me, Sherry Geis. I want you to have a big, brave life, and I'm here to clarify all the little fears that get in your way. Because the truth is, you get to live the life you want, starting now, finally. Hi, this is Sherry Geis. I'm a life coach and the founder of a company called Big Bravely. This is my brand new podcast, and I'm going to talk to you today about connection. Connection is just one of those things that are foundationally important to me because I see how well connection serves us, and I see how disconnected we are as a population, disconnected from ourselves, from each other. So I've been aware of the importance of connection for maybe five years. It was one of those things that was hiding in plain sight. And once I knew that it existed and it was a thing that people could work on and improve, it just opened up a whole new world for me. And I didn't know quite how disconnected I was until I just got myself curious. I looked around and not all my friendships were healthy. It's not like I had a lot of toxic friendships, but there were definitely a lot of half-alive, half-breathing relationships in my life. And, you know, those people weren't bad. I was probably half alive and half showing up to them. And... Part of that was because I wasn't comfortable. I, I give off an air of somebody who's confident and always extroverted, but I tell you what, I am not, and I definitely didn't used to be, or like it was worse. For a lot of years, I was not comfortable in my own skin, and I had been so not comfortable in my own skin for so long, I just figured that that's how life was. Back in my early, early 20s, when I first took my first Myers-Briggs personality test, which if y'all, if anybody out there is a psychology nerd, you've done the Myers-Briggs test, and I tested introvert. Um, I was an INFP, an introverted person, and then I like wiped it from my memory and I don't know, probably 10 or 15 years later during a leadership training, I took Myers-Briggs again and tested as an ENFP, which far more resonates with what my daily life is like. And um, I think it's because I did the work. You know, I started doing work on myself and got more comfortable in my skin. However, I was just barely an E. And I didn't know it didn't have to be that way. So I bring up connection a lot with people that I help or people that I teach at workshops because I know what the consequences of not having connection are. And if you want to have some real talk, just look around the world today. Disconnection is an epidemic. We have never had more avenues for technical connection and we've never been more disconnected. We've sort of siloed ourselves into various ideological camps. I know you've seen this. Like, 
and some of those ideologies are great, you know, and then some of those values and beliefs that people hold dear are total shit entirely. Like white supremacist neo-Nazis, total shit. Social justice, people who are prophets for unconditional love, those are amazing. However, if you're afraid to connect with strangers or people who aren't strangers, but that you just know hold different beliefs than you, you're not out there changing the world. You're more of a cheerleading camp than a revolution. So to go back to the more basics of connection, why you want it, why you should strive to improve your avenues to it. A few years ago, I was reading a book by Desmond Tutu called The Book of Forgiveness. And he talked about a health study between two different groups of people. The first group was of average health. They had a few extra pounds in their body. They didn't have the greatest habits in the world, but they had really good connections. Um, You know, those people maybe had a, a few too many cookouts, but they were having cookouts, right? They were connecting with each other. And they didn't even have perfect relationships, but they had really good ones. The other group of people were really physically healthy types. They were fit. They were athletic. They were super into eating well and taking care of their bodies, but they didn't have very good connections. These people were kind of lonely. And they compared the two groups to each other. The, and I'm sure you can see where this is going, but I'm going to go ahead and finish my thought. Um, The people who were average health, average physical health, average body care, average nutrition to really fit um, machine type of people who were socially isolated. And they measured, you know, the two groups against each other and the, the lonely people had more health problems in a cardiovascular way. Connection is really important. It, it, it can have a huge impact on your life. It can have a huge impact on your physical health. And yeah, I mean, I, I am definitely of like the group A. I do not have a perfect body. I, I am, I am definitely overweight in a technical sense. And, um, I definitely eat too much ice cream cause I love it. And too many lattes. Like I stopped drinking the sugar lattes a long time ago, but you know, all that milk adds up and I still have amazing blood pressure. My A1C is fantastic. I I don't have any inflammation. Like I've had blood work on all this stuff. It's all great. And, and I have a health history in my family of diabetes and cancer and all kinds of junk. And I do still have a little bit of youth on my side. I'm only in my early 40s. But I think that part of why I have the health that I have, despite the outward picture that I shouldn't, is because I pay attention to my connections. I pay attention to my relationships and I pay attention to everybody else's also, particularly people who are working with me because I want them to be less alone and more connected. And we're wired for connection. This is not, 
incredibly uh, foreign territory for us, biologically speaking. It's built into our biology. We need it. But it can get interrupted. It can get interrupted through stuff like trauma or a less than stellar family system growing up or just hurts in your life. Or, and I see this a lot with people in like their 30s and 40s, you start to forget how to make friends. You know, when when we're young, we are put into highly social situations and connection is damn near inevitable. But as we grow up and we move on with finding partnerships and families or we get into like the mid part of our career, we get busy, we might move a lot, it 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 can can leave us without our connections that we had growing up or in our, our early adulthood. And we forget how to do that because like there was a sort of a social system we were dropped into that made it somewhat inevitable. doesn't make it inevitable, of course. Um, but it's, it's uh, highly, highly likely you're going to find friends when you're in a classroom of a hundred or you're in a class of 30 people or in a, in a grade school class of 150 people. And so I also care about connection because it, when you don't have it, when you're in disconnection, it's painful. It sucks. Like you're lonely. Um, even if there wasn't a physiological impact of connection, and there, there is, the, the feeling of being disconnected is painful. If you were to go out right now and have an EEG of yourself in pain, like, I don't know, I thump you on your forehead or you like step on a Lego and then get yourself an EEG of you when you are like in the lonely, like in the lonely. I think you know which kind I'm talking about where you think no one's ever going to love you or you're never going to find your way in this world and no one understands you and you're an alien those EEGs will look very similar because loneliness is painful. Disconnection is painful. And I don't want people to be in pain. Like the world is better when we're all thriving. I want us all to make it. And I'm not a scientist, obviously. If you haven't got on by now, I'm definitely not a scientist. I'm a little bit of a hobbyist social scientist. Um, but just kind of on the fly through my own interests. And I see the ways that people's lives aren't working. And I try to help them figure out why they aren't working. Not just for that person necessarily, but also globally. Why do all these people struggle with this kind of stuff? I think they struggle because they don't necessarily know how to get rid of it. You know, they can definitely kill time getting distracted from it or numbing out from it. Okay, so why so many people struggle with disconnection is because they're afraid to talk about it. It's fear. We're going to talk a lot about fear this season, probably all the seasons, because it's so primitive. Fear is just way down in the foundation of who we are as human beings. And we're afraid to talk about the pain of disconnection. We may not even have the words for it, but there's so much stigma 
in talking about feelings that we can just suffer in silence. It's a huge, brave thing to bring up your pain, your emotional pain. It's a big, brave thing to do. It can bring up a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment, a lot of thoughts of like, what are they going to think about me? Or I must be some kind of freak or I'm a loser or any of that negative self-talk stuff that happens when we emotionally expose ourselves. But, and again, a thing I'll talk about in a future episode, that's, that's shame. Shame is sneaky. Shame is a trickster. Shame is definitely part of your fear response and will keep you small and hidden and miserable for as long as you let it. And the only way out of shame is to bring your fears into the light. And I always think it's good to get a hand with it, uh, whether you're working with a mentor or a therapist or coach or clergy that you trust. um, Talking about the things that have you hiding and disconnected can help you see them for what they really are. And they're probably not nearly as bad as the holding it all in your head version of it was. Yeah. And that's why I I like helping people with these tricky emotions. I hate to even call them negative because they're just information. They're just data. If you only hang out in the positive and you only resource yourself for positivity, which is great. Like I love positivity and I'm an optimist. I'm a hopefulist. <laughs> I like to invent words. Um, I like helping people with the stuff because there's a lot of there's a lot of information in the struggle. And looking at how you escape pain is really important. It's important for self-awareness. It's important for habit reforming. And you know, these 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 things that we do to avoid the pain of disconnection, they so vary. You know, they could be chemical addictions, of course, but they could be shopping. You know, I've spoken to a lot of people who ease their pain through that kind of thing, whether it's just like the browsing of or actually buying, and that can exacerbate itself to something bigger like high debt or secrets. You know, I've talked to people who spend a lot of money avoiding their pain and then they have to hide the purchases and then there's more secrets and more shame and it can really snowball. So the way we get back into connection is through vulnerability and awareness. Awareness of how you get off track, but also like, what do you want for yourself? What do you need? Do you want to be half checked out in front of a television or at a bar every single night if you don't work there, you know? This is why I sometimes struggle talking about what it is I do because I was telling a client once, like I can see this whole matrix. I can see how it expands everywhere to just talk about one little piece of it can get tricky because I see all the tethers to all the other places. But vulnerability is such a huge piece. You, It is vulnerable to to walk into these stories, to to look at ways that we are 
experiencing loneliness and, and pain of disconnection. But think about someone you've ever talked to who did a brave thing, who, like, it may not have been pretty. It probably was very necessary. But they did a brave thing. Was that weak? Because there's a, there's a belief that vulnerability is a weakness. Do you think that person was weak? Or did you see that person as courageous, as doing whatever needed to be done to get to where they were going, even if it meant discomfort? So that's why I say vulnerability is a crucial element of connection and getting out of the pain of disconnection. And learning how to sit with your own body as it is feeling vulnerable. Vulnerability can totally bring up fear. Vulnerability does not necessarily make you a a superhero. It just makes you resilient through the discomfort of getting to the new place in your life, getting to the new way of being. I kind of want to close out this episode with a passage from Rising Strong by Brene Brown. Um, Dr. Brown is why I'm in this work. Reading her book, Daring Greatly, changed my life, inspired me to go in this direction for a career. And um, yeah, it's just one of the, my foundational beliefs, her, her research on shame and vulnerability. And I'm going to see if I can do this with this microphone and the setup. She talks about her definition of spirituality because her, her definition of spirituality is related to connection. Spirituality is recognizing and celebrating that we are all inextricably connected to one another by a power greater than all of us and that our connection to that power and to one another is grounded in love and belonging. Practicing spirituality brings a sense of perspective, meaning, and purpose to our lives. Some of us call that power greater than ourselves God. Some do not. Some people celebrate their spirituality in churches or synagogues, mosques, or other houses of worship, while others find divinity in solitude through meditation or in nature. For example, I come from a long line of folks who believe that fishing is church, and one of my closest friends believes that scuba diving is the holiest of experiences. As it turns out, our expressions of spirituality are as diverse as we are. When our intentions and actions are guided by spirituality, our belief in our interconnectedness and love, our everyday experiences can be spiritual practices. We can transform teaching, leading, and parenting into spiritual practices. Asking for and receiving help can be spiritual practice. Storytelling and creating can be spiritual practices because they cultivate awareness. While these activities can be spiritual practices, It appears that rising strong after falling must be a spiritual practice. Rising demands foundational beliefs of connection and requires wrestling with perspective, meaning, and purpose. So, again, that's from Rising Strong by Brene Brown. I appreciate you being here with me. Having your attention means a lot. I hope you got something out of this. I look forward to the next time we connect. Bye. This podcast is produced by Mostly Harmless Media. Many thanks to them and to Casey Clifford for her beautiful music. 
And thank you, my dear listener, for reclaiming time for yourself. You are worthy of this care and so much more.